Hello and welcome to Musical Pathways, the podcast which focuses on the different pathways musicians take in order to reach their musical goals. And today we're going to be talking to another teacher here at Musical so that you can get to know us all a bit better. Our guest today is a master of the keys in Cornwall's first call for all things jazz. As one of the long-standing leaders of the Cornwall Youth Jazz Orchestra, he's had the opportunity to play throughout the county and beyond, along with teaching at Cornwall Music Service Trust. He's now joined us here at Music L, teaching the jazz bike syllabus, along with much more to come, I'm sure, to one and only Mr. Andy Billum. How's it going, Andy? I'm great, thanks, Gary. Good to be here. As I said at the top, we're going to look at the ways in which you've developed your skills in order to reach your goals of becoming a professional musician. And while doing that, we're going to take some stops at some of the opportunities which music's given you along the way. Um, the first question I ask everyone, though, is how was music a part of your life as a child? So what role did music play for you in the early years? My parents, my dad was musical. My mum patently, obviously, wasn't. Um, but I started playing the piano at the age of six. Um, we lived in Hale at the time, and I went down the road to an old lady, Mrs. Rickard, and I learnt there for a couple of years until we moved to Redruth. And fortunately for me, um, about 50 yards up the road from where we moved to was um, Mrs. Nettle. Um, her son, David Nettle, is a world-renowned concert pianist and he he's one of the very few pairs of pianists him and i can't remember what his um what his sort of musical partner's name is but they tour the world performing on two pianos but it's uh, it's classical um but david was i suppose four or five years older than me um well was still is um <laughs> And um, his mum taught from her front room. And I stayed with Mrs. Nettle, I suppose, from the age of eight to about the age of 14. And then I had lessons for a couple of years from my uh, music teacher at school, Hunter Skinner. Um, and then I moved to Truro. Well, my lessons moved to Truro. And um, I had lessons with Mrs. Hoadley, who is the mum of Ben Hoadley, cello teacher with Cornwall Music Service Trust. It's, it's full of these little circles, aren't they, connections. I think that's a thing with music in general, isn't it? You know, like, you, you know someone who knows someone who does something with someone else. Like, it's, it's one of the, like, kind of ingressed part of music in our lives. Exactly. It, it is, it, it, you know, uh, only a couple of days ago, um, I uh, announced that I knew somebody and then somebody completely unconnected said, oh, I didn't realise I knew you both. And, and you know, <laughs> away it goes again. So it's and that was a musical connection as well. So, yeah, there are um, the, the, these little um, concentric circles that run through every aspect of music. So, um, yeah, there we are. It sounds like you had a lot of instrument teachers though it sounds like you had a few piano teachers along the way yeah I, so did you did you kind of grab bits from each of them oh i'm sure i did um it's one of those things that you're not really aware of when you're learning yeah. you're just learning um but certainly different different practice methods different teaching methods as well um 
And um, yeah, it, it, as I say, it's, you're not aware of it at the time. You're just going for a piano lesson. Uh, but looking back in in uh, you know in in years later, um, I realised that yes, they all taught slightly differently and yeah. somehow got the best from me. I, I was going to say I I kind of think that having that diversity in your teaching though makes you a more re- well-rounded musician because you know they they're all going to focus on a different part. And that's going to generally make you a better musician in all those little parts, you know, kind of round you off. I absolutely agree. Um, I've had pupils in the past who've been rather apologetic about having lessons with me and with somebody else. I think it's a great thing, to be honest, um, because you get two different takes on the same instrument. And one take may end up being better for you or you might, you know, gain gain insights into your instrument in two different ways from two different teachers. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. No, no, I think it's a great thing. I was going to say that playing the piano is a very lonely thing. Um, I, uh, I, I suppose I discovered this fairly early on, you know, when I was still in single figures. Um, so my parents um, suggested that I started learning the violin. I'm not sure why the violin over any other instrument. Well, it's classic instruments, isn't it? Well, it is, yes. <laughs> um, and, of course, that opened the door to a lot more social music making. You, As a pianist, you tend not to. It's, it's a sort of a solo instrument. Um, so I was fortunate enough to, obviously I played in the school orchestra, but I also played in the Falmouth Youth Orchestra and after that the Cornwall Youth Orchestra, CYO, which of course is still going strong, you know, all these years later. And that was brilliant. It's quite amazing actually when you think about it, isn't it? It's amazing that it's just stuck around. Exactly. And uh, the Youth Orchestra, well, I mean, we're talking um, in the early 1970s when I joined it, I suppose 70. 374 age 13 14 there you are do the maths i just told you how old i am uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but um th- that was fantastic because i i've made friends um in the youth orchestra some of whom are still teaching colleagues with cmst um and others that I'm still in contact with all over the world. So, uh, you know, that really brought the social side of music making into my life, and I'm, I shall always be grateful for that. You don't actually think about it as an outsider looking at someone playing piano, how lonely that could be, I guess. I mean, we're all lonely during practice because that is a at-home-by-yourself thing for the most part. I mean, there's band and group practising as well but for the most part you're doing it by yourself but actually piano goes all the way up to performance by yourself a lot of the times I mean there's there's lots of other options but you just don't I don't think about it as a guitarist because I've always practiced in groups like yeah I've always had bands and other groups that I play with you know yeah so um yeah it's 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 an interesting point actually one that that hasn't come up yet but you are our first piano player so it does make sense (laughs) (laughs) what was your first performance then Uh, was it with one of those orchestras or did you perform no with your just piano first i mean obviously i went through the associated board um 
uh, graded piano exams, but I don't really think you can you can class those as performances. I mean, technically, I suppose no. they were <laughs> not really. No, but um, Mrs. Nettle, my my uh, piano teacher in Madruth, was very keen to enter us for local music festivals, um, and in particular the Snorstall Music Festival. And I think the first time that I played, I must have been oh. I've been trying to work it out, knowing that this question was likely to come up. <laughs> I think I must have been about 10. I think I was still at primary school, so it must have been 9 or 10. Yeah. And, of course, Redruth to St. Austell in the 1960s, you know, 1970, there was no fast roads. And I know that my class at... Um, the old Capital Theatre in St. Austell, which is where the music festival was held. Um, I don't even know whether that exists anymore, whether it's probably been either pulled down or turned into flats. Um, yeah, I think it's been converted. Ah, right. <laughs> um, we had to leave stupidly early in the morning from Redruth to get to the uh, get to St. Austell in time. And I, I know that we really cut it to the to the wire to the extent <laughs> that as we walked into the auditorium my name was being called and my mum literally sort of grabbed my coat uh, <laughs> you know um, grabbed it by the collar and I just walked on and she pulled it off and then threw my music bag at me my little leather music case and almost without breaking stride I just walked straight up on stage played my piece and before I knew it I'd finished <laughs> I mean that's the, you're not going to be as nervous doing that at least uh, no absolutely not no chance for it just straight in there <laughs> um so but that was it and I think we probably walked around St Austell and then called it a day and we were home by lunchtime anyway about half past five that night um, the doorbell went and um, I was called to the door and there's this chap there with this huge great cardboard box and he said, oh, this is for you. And I said, what? just didn't understand. So he opened the box and took out, well, to me as a 10-year-old, this enormous silver <laughs> cup. And it was the Forrester Cup, which I won for the best piano performance of the day. Oh, that's not bad for your um, first I, performance. Well, I, <laughs> I still reckon that it's because I didn't have the chance to get nervous and it was all about getting onto the stage without tripping over. Um, got my music out and, and, you know, got the nod to say, yes, you can start. And I'd played the piece before I'd even registered where I was or what I was <laughs> doing. Um, I, be I, bet that, um, I bet that made a big impact onto your next performances as well. So, like, were you were you less nervous from then on? Because when you did your first one, you didn't have a chance to be nervous and, and you won. It must have put you in a position where nerves were less likely. I don't know. I've always been nervous. And I, I say to, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure you have, Gary, performed thousands of times. Yeah. And I always say to young children especially i mean a lot of my teaching well the majority of my teaching is in primary schools and um you know they're they're all hyped up and feeling nervous and feeling experiencing sensations in their body that they're not used to and i said look don't worry because i'm feeling exactly the same the only difference is 
I know how to channel that and you don't, you haven't learned that yet. Don't worry, just go in there, take a few deep breaths, slow everything down and go for it and enjoy it. I think that's, you know, um, the number of times that I've seen musicians from eight to 80 go wrong. Audiences sort of don't mind. No, 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 no. They would rather somebody shows their sort of their human side. You know, we're not just machines that produce perfect performances. Um, And, yeah, audiences are on your side. And if you go wrong and then pick things up and move on, they'll forget. And I very often say to pupils, as long as the beginning and the ending are okay, you can sort of get away with, almost anything in the middle the beginning yeah. sets the scene in your audience's head and they'll remember the last thing that you do so you know work on the beginning and the ending of the piece a little more um just to make sure that you get a confident start which settles you and a confident ending which is the thing that the audience is going to remember yeah and i think um, the same goes um i think the same goes for even like a set list or a group of songs you put your best one like a good one at the beginning yeah. and a good ending one and yeah. the middle ones they like they still want to be good but as long as those two are good people will go they will listen to the whole thing and yeah. then they will go away thinking that was a really great performance which is which is your kind of main kind of bread and butter i guess exactly you also brought up a great thing about worrying and my daughter watches this movie so this will be for everyone who's got a young child <laughs> and um and one of the things they say in the movie is if you never worry then you aren't living yeah. right so so without worrying you mm. you aren't thinking about your current situation so i i think it rings true there as well if you if you've not if you've not got a bit of fright in you you're not going to do your best performance because you're you're not living in that exact moment and like you say, you just you just have to channel it. That's right. You need that little bit of extra sort of mental energy, that little bit of adrenaline coursing around your body to heighten your your reactions and, and your sense. Um, I worry sometimes if I'm performing and I don't feel nervous. I almost yeah. get more worried about that than I do about the performance itself. You get a bit complacent, don't you? You, know, you can you, do. You're just like, and, and you know you're just going to make a mistake because you're you're not really thinking about it I, there's there's songs that i know i've played like i you know in a year i probably play a hundred times yeah. and and i never really think about them and the moment and sometimes it's the opposite that if i start thinking about them i just lose yeah. the whole song <laughs> so so there's a there's a definitely a balancing act between that yeah. you know when you've played a song a lot of times so along those lines what was your what's the performance which sticks out to you what was your like biggest and best performance in your eyes i've been giving this some serious thought gary um <laughs> and it's just it's a hard it one. is it is so difficult i mean almost in every decade of my life there's probably been a performance which has stood out for me i mean you don't have to pick one uh, well in in different in different situations and in different contexts and different styles because i mean although i uh, i tend to play jazz these days i haven't always you know and i've i've performed classical and and you know acted as an accompanist and all that sort of stuff when i finished my music degree 
or my performing arts degree, I ended up working for a traveling theatre company based in Loughborough. And we traveled all over the country. And I was sort of musician first and actor second. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the performances that I remember all those years ago, and this would have been in my mid-twenties, one of my roles was as a dancing gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, full gorilla suit. And I suddenly realised that I could get away with blue murder. A, because people find the concept of a gorilla running up the road bizarre and yeah. and hopefully funny. But yeah. also, they. Have, I mean, there's no other way of taking yeah, it, is there? there? No. <laughs> if you don't, no. if you don't take that as funny. Like. Uh, but the great thing is that nobody knows who's inside the gorilla suit, and we yeah. parked our brightly coloured transit van in a little side street, and I sort of emerged from this undercover. Nobody <laughs> happened to be walking past at the time. So I was running up. We were in Clenbridod Wells in, in Mid Wales uh, for a, 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 a weekly festival. I think it's a Victorian festival. Right. So all the shopkeepers are dressed up in, in Victorian shopkeepers' garb and, and uh, the ladies have got their long crinolines on and the gents are walking around with top hats and three-piece suits. I mean, it's a wonderful atmosphere. Um, yeah, I was going to say, there's still a place that does that in Wales, I think there? I think the festival like, is like still going. Village. Yeah, well, I think Clendred of Wales is, is their festival is still running after all these years. Right. Um, so I was walking up to greengrocers and running off with a, with a hand of bananas, you know, obviously to drop <laughs> back later. Um, I was stopping the traffic um, and, um, you know, generally, if you'll pardon the pun, aping around. And <laughs> I went back into the van, um, complete with bananas, changed out of my gorilla suit, put my normal clothes back on, walked back up to the shopkeeper in question who I'd stolen the bananas from and he just looked at me as if I said oh I better let you have these back and he said sorry I said well I took these a few minutes ago and he I said I was in the gorilla suit oh it was you (laughs) and it was at that moment I thought I can do whatever I want to here because nobody, <laughs> you know, you think everybody can see you, but of course they can't because yeah, you've yeah. got the mask on. Um, and from that moment on, but it was that particular day in in that particular outfit that I realised that, you know, you are undercover. And that was fantastic. I, I just had so much fun that week doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. You know, that's actually something that a lot of musicians do as well. In that they they put a facade over themselves, you know, like they've got a persona on stage, Mm. such as Ziggy Stardust, Ozzy Osbourne, and even Lady Gaga now. Yeah. And they put on this persona that isn't them, but that allows them to to act out and, and play the musician role, you know, to do what they're doing on stage. Absolutely. And and I've I've noticed this more in in recent years i mean one of the things that i get great pleasure from is um i work with a um a small select band of um very they don't realize it but they are extremely talented adults and we have a little community samba band based just outside camborne um and for my sins i sort of point them in the right direction and help them (laughs) along the way 
you know, one of the one of the reasons that I enjoy it so much is we have a great laugh, and they're a lovely bunch of people. There's about sort of 12, 14 of them. They make a great yeah. sound. Um, and we go off and we do carnivals and fates and, and uh, various other performances. And I've noticed that when I'm up the front leading that I am a different person. And I've noticed this from being in an audience that when you are watching, especially outdoor sort of informal performance, you're not looking at the person that's performing, you're listening to what they're playing. And yeah. you can you can get away with an awful lot more when you're not being yourself. You're being that guy up the front who's trying to encourage everybody to clap or to dance or, you know, uh, not showing off but trying to, to convey the atmosphere, the mood of the music to your audience. Yeah, I mean, it's it's called a stage show for a reason. Absolutely, you know, it, absolutely. It's, not, it's a performance. It, the whole thing as a whole. I mean, I know as a child, I suffered really badly. I was very, very shy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know some people who in my primary school I talk to now and they're like, I don't really remember you being there. <laughs> and like, I was so shy. Yeah. And then music made me not shy. And I am far from that now. Mm. But they, I think it was that, that performance thing you know that putting on the different face really allowed me to blend into that band and and increase my confidence and yeah. I, I think it's exactly what you're saying there i think it's a really beautiful part of music is that it allows you to develop your whole self absolutely along with putting on this like little performance at the front mm. do you enjoy the performances the most about music is that your kind of keen interest in music or is there another part that that grabs your interest the most? I like the notion of being able to convey an emotion. Yeah. Whether that's sort of abandonment and, um, and happiness and dancing, or whether it's something a little more deep. Um, it's funny. One of the one of the performances that I remember best was five six years ago um i was asked to provide a little bit of jazz for a concert that st mary's singers in truro were doing at trelissic house yeah between barmouth and truro down on the river fowl so i had a drummer and a bass player with me who i've played with quite a few times before they know how i play i know how they play yeah um and because we weren't the main attraction, we the singers would sing for 20 minutes, we would play for 10 minutes, they sang, and then I think the same happened in the, uh, in the second half. I think we kicked things off, they sang, we played again, and then they sang to finish. So we played, I suppose, six or seven tunes in the whole of the concert, and it was one of those very few occasions i think it was partly because the audience were sat on blankets with their picnics so there was a nice sort of you know music in the park feel they weren't breathing down my neck i suppose the nearest members of the audience were probably 20 meters away something like that yeah yeah we were relaxed we were comfortable and it was just a pleasure to play um and because the the pressure of performing 
sort of lifted, I personally felt that I played really well. And I thought that, you know, the three of us melded together, worked really well. Um, and I'm pleased to say that I had quite a few compliments afterwards. Uh, but it was it was one of those gigs that, for me, just worked. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, that I really enjoyed as a consequence. So that was like more of a focus on people developing their emotional contact with the music that's that's well, the bit you like yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and you tend to find that um if people come up and compliment you then they have connected with it in a way as well and so so you definitely know that that's absolutely happened you know people people don't go out of their way to compliment musicians unless they really feel like they need to yes you do i mean it, you don't think well that was rubbish but i'll go and tell them how good they were yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, and and equally, like even if you think you know that that was good, it, you might not do. You might not go up and tell them. But if you if you've got this feeling in yourself that it was amazing, then you you need to tell them. Do you know what I mean? It, it's that it's yes. that um you you have to reach above the bar. You know, it has yes. to be above good. Yes, I've said it before, but I I say this to my students if they're writing or playing something and they just think it's good well mm. everyone else might just think it's okay and then some people people might think it's rubbish but if you think it's amazing mm. some people are going to think it's amazing some people are going to think it's good and then yep. the rest of them are going to think it's okay which is perfectly yep. fine you know but you're going to have way less people on the bottom of that scale but have you got any tips you always tell your students. So I, I always tell mine about that, that good scale. What, what's the, the tip that you, you know, your most common one you tell everyone? Bearing in mind that my weekly teaching is the majority, as I've mentioned before, is primary. Yeah. I feel that my job is to give them a good solid grounding. Uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. by the time they move, move on to secondary school and maybe tertiary education that they've they've got that good grounding that they can use to build on so my tips are fairly basic if you like but i think they're that's not a bad thing though but i no, absolutely everyone starts at the bottom so mm. you know you can only go up so i'm and sure it'll be relevant as i'm sure you, you you're only too aware um the most important thing I feel for young kids is to get into the practice habit. Yeah. Um, and it's the most difficult to encourage because you're asking, it's one of those things that until you've practiced for 10 minutes a day for two weeks, you won't notice the difference. No. And no, no. you can say that to somebody as many times as you like, but what you've got to do is to actually get them practicing regularly and then they notice and they think oh i've got better why has that happened well it's happened because i've been practicing so if i practice a bit more does that mean i'll get better oh yes it does and then they're away yeah so i try to sort of conduct my lessons in the way that i would like them to practice that maybe we'll go over four bars of a piece yeah. eight times and we'll stop and talk about it and what do you find difficult okay so break it down hands separately and then put the hands back together slowing down which for a young player is 
sort Odd. of the last thing they want to do yeah, yeah. because they just want to be able to play it fast, especially the boys. Yeah. Girls are a little <laughs> bit more reflective about these things. And, um, and when they've got that sorted, then it's sort of um, looking at the whole piece, which is the bit that you can't play. Okay, yeah. work on that bit first. And that, that's it, something that they um, they avoid a lot. You know, they'll, they'll play the bit that they can play many times and then they'll, they'll rush over the little bit they don't know so well yep. and then they'll play the next bit they can play because it, it feels like they're more accomplished than to, in their minds. But really, they need to know that that's the bit they need to look at is that little bit that they're avoiding. <laughs> but it's just, it's just good... It's just good practice technique, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, it is. And if I think back to my childhood, Gary, I can I can think of thousands of times when I was that that same child that you've just described that will play the 100%. bits that they can play. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's it's just breaking that sort of um, breaking that tendency to avoid the tricky bits and say to them, look, if you if you master that tricky bit you've mastered the whole piece rather than yeah. the beginning and the end and that bit in the middle that's not so good. You've then got the whole piece. And it's it, it's just trying to instill these basic basic principles of, of good practice, pun intended, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so that they they take that through. And, and very often, I, I can remember back in the 1990s, <laughs> I had... Because um, I teach a bit of drum kit as well, and uh, yeah. always have. Um, I had a, a, a fourteen-year-old lad recommended to me for drum lessons from the head of music at a school I was teaching in Hertfordshire, um, oh. Sir John Law's school in Harpenden. And this lad came to me, and he was a bit sort of <laughs> not sort of really <laughs> almost there because he was told to be there rather than because he wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. So he came to me in year nine, so he would have been about 14. Which is the age where they're all like that anyway. Uh, <laughs> like, well, exactly. You know, yeah, better things yeah, to do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the age of 18, he was the drummer with the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. Now, I'm not taking all the credit for that by <laughs> any means, but... I was in the staff room at this school about four year, uh, four weeks after Darren started, and his geography teacher, who I knew well yeah. um, through school band trips abroad, uh, and Chris and I had spent a long time together, and he said, uh, you've started teaching Darren, haven't you? I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? He said, you should see his latest geography homework that he's handed in. He said, it is so much better than anything he's ever produced for me before. And Darren, that that that, that sort of first drum lesson must have been the catalyst yeah. um, because he realised that if he worked hard at his drumming, he got better and he wanted to get better, so he carried on practising. And then thought, well, if I work hard at my geography, then I can, you know, at the age of 14, I don't think any of his teachers would have expected him to stay into the sixth form, which right. he did, and got three A-levels. And I put it I put it all down to his starting his, his drum lessons with me. Yeah, it's, it's like a life skill, isn't it? You know, being, mm. being able to do that. And like you say, it, it's it's quite quickly overlooked i think especially in in 
England as a whole, probably not Western culture, but in England, music's overlooked in its power to develop your ability to work hard, essentially. I mean, sadly, I think, you're very. I think China. You're have, absolutely right. Yeah, I think China have got it. Like they, you know, they teach music all the way from a long, young age, and and then mm. people wonder why they get such good grades. It's like, yeah. well, there's a bit of correlation here that that mm. is quite obvious, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's that's a really amazing story, really, because mm. it obviously changed his in, entire life, and it was just like you say that one little catalyst that the head teacher was wise enough to go that that is what you need to do right now and it will change everything and yeah i think it's uh that's just one of those great bits at the end i mean I, i'm not saying you did everything <laughs> obviously he took no, a lot into his own hands but but <laughs> and um, it, it could just as easily have been needlework or rugby or exactly abseiling you know yeah. it could have it, it was just something that that flicked a switch with this young teenager and he realised, well, I can apply that right across the board. I mean, I'm delighted to say that he now runs his own recording studio in his hometown of Harpenden. Cool. And um, he regularly records some of the top players in the country. That's amazing, um, isn't that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, he's in his... Oh, what's Darren now? He must be in his late 40s. <laughs> um and still doing it, still playing, um, and you know, spending spending an awful lot of his time with some of the top players in the country. So um, yeah, that's good really on you, Darren. That's great. Yeah, yeah. No, that is amazing. And I, I think we'll we'll kind of come around to my last question that I've asked everyone, just because we've we've kind of gone through a good portion of life now, Andy. But now as an, mm, now now as an adult. What what effect does music have on your like your everyday life now? Now you've gone through oh. that practicing and developing and become the musician you are. I still get huge ple- pleasure from practicing, um, but I still get huge pleasure from performing as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, people say, "Well, don't you find primary school? You know, it must be very restricting." They're just wonderful. Um, they're like little sponges, <laughs> and you pour in, you know, uh, a litre of information every week, and they come back, and most of them have still got 90% of it in their heads the next week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're mouldable at that age, and if you can mould them in the right, in the right ways um, and, well, set them up, yeah. Before you pass them up the ladder, um, it's it's an absolute privilege to to be in that position. And um, I just love working with primary children because they're they're massively funny sometimes unintentionally. <laughs> they, um, they are good. They've got a good sense of humour. Good sense oh, of humour. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I love it. I mean, obviously, I I I still direct the county youth jazz orchestra um and i teach jazz improvisation to you know mid teenagers um and i get a huge amount of pleasure from that as well because they're there because they want to learn and i can hopefully introduce them to some of the well secrets with air quotes (laughs) they're not secrets but sometimes they feel like they are um just introduce them to the the idea of improvising and you know spontaneous creation of a musical line um and i 
that's probably the bit of teaching that I enjoy most, but it's the bit that I do very little of, which is a bit of a shame, but yeah. that's the way it goes. Well, um, hopefully post-coronavirus, so, post that won't be the case. <laughs> let's do, hope so. Do a bit yes. more of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, obviously I'm always listening to music. My daughter, who's in her 20s now, um, she's a musician and she's currently in the middle of a music degree and almost every day she'll send me a couple of YouTube links or, or you know, a, um, a playlist or something and um, I do the same thing. So we're, we're always, always sharing stuff and I'm always learning new stuff and, and raving about the, you know, a new artist or a new band or a, a, a new style of music. So, yeah, I've, I don't think you ever stop learning in this life certainly not uh, in something that is as massive as as music no no and i, I will ask one more question because i have been asking mm. a few people this what what is the artist that you just listened to then what what song and what songs just kind of gone past <laughs> your ears and you've had a second listen to uh it? funnily enough over breakfast this morning yeah because uh, my wife went off to work early so i treated myself to a bit of youtube over breakfast <laughs> i don't do every day i listened to um the most wonderful group of african drummers from um the malinke tribe wow. um who were performing in their village and had been filmed by a couple of french musicologists who were in the region and, and just got their phones out and videoed them wow. and then stuck it up on YouTube. So, yeah, probably not the sort of thing you were expecting. Well, that, oh, yes, I've, I've just listened to a whole Charlie Parker album uh, or, or <laughs> uh, you know, uh, been transcribing a Bill Evans solo. No, it was a group of sort of native Malinke drummers that's, from that's Central awesome. Africa. That's so cool, though, isn't it? You know, like that you can yeah. you can appreciate something so wildly different from your world, and I, I think absolutely it's been quite cool. I've been I've been listening to some of the suggestions people have been giving me on on here. It's it's definitely, you know, I listen to a lot of very. I thought I listened to a lot of varied music. That's probably the best mm -hmm. way of putting it. But then, you know, someone will recommend you something, and they're massive. Like they're they're a huge mm. huge artist, but they've ne just never crossed my pathway, if you like. And um, I think it's amazing. Here's my little recommendation for you then, Got Gary. Um, obviously, I teach samba, yeah. both to primary school children and to adults. And I've, I've, I feel that if you're teaching a music from a different culture, I think jazz is slightly different because it's, although it's an Afro-American style originally, I think now it's, it's a global style. And, you know, there's some great jazz players from all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. Um, but obviously Samba is not of our culture. And I think it's really important that if you are teaching music from a different culture, that you do it properly, that you teach it and you teach it authentically and that you can back up your musical teaching with a bit of social history yeah, and a yeah. bit of sort of, a bit of background so that it's not just that bloke that comes in and we play some samba stuff, but that they know it comes from Brazil and they know why it happens and how it's developed and the links between Brazil and Africa. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense. Uh, and, of course, there is a whole world of music in Brazil, which is huge. Re who 
hugely rhythmic, which we in the West or in the in the UK perhaps are not aware of. So my little recommendation, they're a great band. Um, they were based in Rio and they're called Fundo de Cantal. Go on, spell it. And Fundo, F-U-N-D-O, de, D-E, Quintal, Q-U-I-N-T-A-L. So quintal, right, if you okay, like, yeah. but it's pronounced quintal. And it means at the bottom of my garden. <laughs> Fundo, bottom, quintal is sort of backyard. Yeah. And the reason they called that is when they started, they rehearsed in a little hut at the bottom of one of the members' back gardens because it was <laughs> convenient and yeah, they yeah. had the space. I mean, they're massive. You go to um, a Fundo de Quintal concert and the whole audience know all the words to all the songs. Yeah. They are Brazilian classics. And very often they'll play the intro to a song and start singing, but they're just completely swamped by the sound of, you know, quite a few hundred people in the audience all singing along at the top of their voices. <laughs> Very listenable, lovely sort of melodic and interesting harmonic music, but, you know, very easy to listen to, full of Brazilian influence, full of samba influence, if you if you know what you're listening yeah, for. Yeah. Um, and just a, a great band. So there, yeah, cool. there you are. There's my my little suggestion. Yeah. Fundo de Quintal. I'll check them out, and hopefully whoever's <laughs> listening will also check them out. Um, I hope so. We'll we'll sign off now anyway. So um, I hope whoever's listening has also gained a bit of inspiration to go grab their instrument and have a play. And remember, every path leads to a goal eventually. So why not take them all? Until next time, bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>